Today we have Dr. Nita Bouchon, former cosmetic dentist. That's right. And she Ooh. sold her practice a long time ago. I like to refer to her kind of as a Doogie Hauser who graduated. What did you, when did you get your doctorate? When you were like 18? <laughs> Probably something like that. <laughs> so she is uh, one of the overachiever of overachiever friends that I have. And um, since then, she has launched a company called Global Grit. And she is a three times best-selling author. She travels the globe, coaching people all over the world. And she's been featured in Forbes and Fast Company. And she is also married to a wonderful man named Ajit. And today she's here to talk about how she balances her career, working with her husband, and all the good things. Welcome. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. That was a lot. <laughs> it was. Almost, I was like, did I get everything? I didn't because you have an impressive resume, but did my best. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you, love. Yay. Okay. So uh, you're usually, you're, you talk about work a lot. So let's talk about more personal stuff. Sweet. Okay. Let's go to the beginning, pre-Ajit. So you were married before. Yes, ma'am. You were married. Were you... How old were you when you were married? Ooh, um, I was I was twenty seven when I was engaged, and it was like a long engagement, and got married at twenty eight. At twenty eight, okay, and you're no longer with this man, correct? Okay, so can you give us the cliff notes of of that marriage and what you learned from it? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's, that's a. That's a loaded question. That's like that's going back. That's going back. So for anybody who has ever been in relationships that don't work out or that are just uh, that lead to divorce, welcome to the first marriage club. That's kind of what I start out with as. Um, you know, I I think that going through that was obviously uh, one of the big catalysts that kind of shaped who I am today. And I think you know this because uh, we go way back. Uh, and I think that, you know, I, I think that the the biggest insights from that relationship was, you know, I was really trying to recreate a family that I had lost, right? And so kind of um, overlapped relationships was my, uh, that was that was my thing. That was my jam. Like I was in overlapped relationships since I was in high school because I had, you know, my parents dying of cancer. Sorry guys, backstory. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of things happen. Um, and so I had a lot of these tragedies happen before I was 19, losing my mom, losing my brother, losing my father, right? Fully loaded, different podcast, different day. Uh, but so the way that I chose relationships and the way that I showed up in them it was as if I wanted to recreate this family that I lost. So um, I fell in love. I fell in love in dental school. And a lot of my relationships had been toxic, but I had no idea that they were because I just wanted love. And guess what? I wasn't really loving myself. And so, you know, fast forward to my very crazy, tumultuous night of December 31st, um, I, I don't even remember the year now. It was so long ago. But <laughs> December 31st, it's New Year's Eve, right? New Year, partying it up. Um, and there I am in my, you know, very lavish five-story home in Chicago. And I'm just weeping on the floor. And I'm looking in the mirror. 
And I feel like it was the first time that I'm looking at myself because from, you know, everything on the outside, everything was picture perfect. We had this grandiose wedding. It was this Bollywood scale wedding. And it was, it was everything that I feel like my parents would think that was, oh my gosh, she did it. She did it, right? Like I was living to kind of gain their approval, even though they were no longer there. And for me, I felt trapped. I felt like I was emotionally exhausted. I felt like, you know, not only was this a very toxic and tumultuous relationship, it was also physically abusive. And I felt like I didn't want to admit to all of those things because professionally, I had worked so hard and I didn't want anybody to see the facade. But the truth really was in that moment, I needed to say yes to loving myself. I needed to say yes to me, which meant that I had to leave haphazardly in the middle of the night, you know, and it was it was very crazy. Uh, all of the dramatic events that, that happened um, along the course of that, which was calling the police and getting lawyers involved and literally filing a restraining order. And, and so things got worse before it actually got better. Like I was living in absolute fear um, and fear of what people would think, because coming from an Asian household background, you know, Nobody thinks you get divorced, right? Nobody thinks that, oh my gosh, you ha you did all of these things. And coming from a Filipino Indian household, that's just not, e like divorce is so taboo, right? So there was, whew, there's, it's a lot, it's a lot there. And, you know, for anybody who is either contemplating leaving a relationship, um, you know, going through deep, dark days of just figuring out is this the right path for you? It's not worth it if you have to question your own worth. And at that point, at that lowest point in my life, I didn't know what my worth was. And and until it was December 31st, looking at that mirror, saying, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not happy. I'm physically not happy. I'm emotionally not happy, happy. And spiritually, I feel dead. And that's kind of when I took the bravest thing that I ever did, which was leave, leave all of the comforts. And of course, then it, it kind of spearheaded into all other aspects of life. But that was that moment. And for that moment to happen, was it, was there a breaking point? Like, did something happen that was the breaking point when you just said, I mean, besides feeling not in alignment with yourself, but then that made you be brave that night and say, I'm leaving. Yeah, so it was December 31st was the last time I allowed him to punch me in the face. Okay. And so that was when uh, things got so bad, right? Where I'm, I'm, you know, if you could picture this, you're, you're in the bedroom on the floor and you're, I'm kind of like curled up in fetal position. And no one knew that I was living this like secret, the secret that I was in this, you know, terrible relationship. I wanted to keep the peace and keep up with the Joneses for everyone. Uh, at that point, I was, you know, was, um, I, I had just gotten my practice, my, my dental practice, and I owned it and things were going really well. Um, but I had to really be truthful to myself because it wasn't, it wasn't. And that, um, you know, that, that night I was definitely, uh, I had to face my deepest, darkest fear, which was things got so dangerous where 
my life was threatened, you know? So I think that when you hit whatever that breaking point is, and we all have had it, we've all been there within, in whatever relationships, you know that there's something that there's an unknown, but you know something else is about to happen. You just don't know what. There is this ounce of courage that's kind of starting to grow within you. And that for me was, okay, my brother was with me. And so he actually said, I'm going to tell everyone because everyone needs to know. And he was my rock that night. To this day, he still is my rock. Um, But uh, he was the only one that I would let in. And that was the night that, you know, we, uh, we called my aunts and uncles and, you know, kind of just told everyone. And I was so in fear that I would be judged and I would be, you know, thought of as this failure because failure was not something in my vocabulary, right? And I think that was the biggest catalyst for my own growth in terms of what would next come and, and rebirth and, you know, kind of crash and crumble before it started to kind of uh, be born in a different light. Okay. Um, so you're, you love personal growth, right? You do a lot of personal growth. Were, had you already started doing personal growth before you decided to leave? No, I did not know what any personal growth was aside from a book that my father gave me when I was like 14 years old. And, you know, it was uh, uh, effects of, you know, highly successful people uh, or habits of highly successful people, right? Stephen Covey, uh, some of you might might know that. And, and there was another one in there too, but I didn't even start reading it until I was like 19 when he was dying of cancer, right? So I think that my spearhead into any sort of, of growth was was almost because it was a coping mechanism to get out of all of the pain that I was just immersed in. I mean, this is the first time in a decade that I would actually process all of my losses. Like all I was doing for, you know, that that decade of my life in my 20s was, you know, trying to prove to the ghosts of my parents' past that I can, you know, handle everything and I can do all of these things and have relationships on the side. But I didn't really know what it meant to show up in a relationship, what it meant to love myself. I had that, that didn't even occur to me, right? As an Asian Filipino Indian girl, you know, happiness meant you live for other people. And happiness meant you're you're doing things for for other people and you come last. And, you know, growing up with this people-pleasing mentality, because of all the losses, I was constantly the person that was, you know, pulling all everybody together in my friend circles, in my communities, because I, you know, I lost my family, right? So that was kind of my MO. Now, that breaking point, or when I entered, um, you know, one of the deepest, darkest times of my life, I literally had to go inward, because there was no way of, of, of going outward, right? And inward to me meant, really diving into all things personal growth, all things self-help books um, from, you know, going back to the practices that I was raised with, right? So meditation um, and prayer. My dad would sit on Sundays and he would sit for five hours just 
praying um, and meditating. And we had a lot of, you know, religious faiths that I grew up with because my mom was Catholic, my father was Hindu. And so those kinds of rituals came back to my life and helped center and ground. And also it was then where I started to uh, really look into retreats and shamans and, you know, other modalities of healing than just regular therapy, because therapy is what I grew up with. So you grew up going to therapy? Yeah. So when I was, uh, when I was 15, right after, um, pretty much when my mom was, my mom died when I was 16 years old. Okay. So right before my mom passed, uh, we, we went through therapy and kind of stayed through, um, you know, after that, my, my brother passed away suddenly. And so it was just a lot of trauma, a lot of tragedy. Uh, and I think that, you know, having the background of traditional psychology and psychotherapy, uh, and of course I got my degree in that, I knew what was missing from traditional aspects of, of, of healing. And even in my marriage, uh, we went to therapy and counseling, but it was so different when I was actually exposed to personal growth. And literally, it was it was through, you know, I started a book club. Um, This is one of the ventures that I started after I I left my um, my first marriage was I needed to create a community. And because I knew how to create it, I'd been creating it since I was a teenager. It was easy for me to do this in different settings. Right. Saying yes was one of the pillars to my growth. And it kind of informed a lot of the work that I do today right now, right? Um, With uh, my work in emotional grit and emotional resilience. Uh, But back then, it was just saying yes to new opportunities, to new things, which meant meeting brand new people, which meant, um, you know, coming uh, and, and really entering new conversations and new experiences with a sense and a dose of curiosity. Okay. And in terms of the healing, what are some of the things that stand out to you that were really effective for you that helped you make strides forward in your journey to self-love? Well, one of the things was I married myself. <laughs> in Bali, right? Was that I married myself. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was one of the, it was, it was so wild. It was crazy. I, I, um, so on my journey of growth, and there was a huge period of growth, um, I spent a lot of time uh, in different retreat centers. This was the very, very first time that I would actually, you know, I grew up working three jobs, like hustling, like crazy, taking care of family members and things like that. So when I mean this is the first time that I actually started to know who I am, that meant I actually was I didn't even know what my favorite color was. Like it was everything meant doing it for the sake of getting the grades or pleasing a family member or doing X, Y, and Z. I did not know what it meant to say, oh yeah, I want this. Oh, I'm not going to date this guy for X, Y, and Z. You know, before I was like, okay, I'll give him a chance. You know, so I think my, the way that I operated and, and how I reframed things was completely different because of some of the things that I said yes to, uh, one of which was improv classes. And then going back to, so improv, which led to, you know, meeting other people that would lead me to transformational experiences, which would lead me to um, plant medicine and ayahuasca and Burning Man, um, which would also lead me to coming out to the West Coast 
and the Bay Area. And I mean, saying yes to experiences that I had not even been exposed to. And so, which then kind of led into um, me taking a solo trip to Asia. Uh, This is when I decided to leave dentistry, leave my lucrative practice, um, and actually retire and and sell pretty much everything I owned and pack my bags up uh, in Chicago and, um, and literally take an entire trip to really understand not only how people make better decisions in their lives and um, what makes them successful and what are the characteristics. And I think that, uh, this goes into how we want to treat ourselves in order to find the right partners, right? Because a lot of the times where I was spending with different kinds of people throughout the world, whether it was in Europe or in Asia, which led me to Bali, and this was the first time, um, I would kind of see people that look like me. It's <laughs> <laughs> very interesting, <laughs> literally. Some of you might laugh listening to this, but it's true. Being the way that I look, it was culturally ambiguous growing up. So coming to Indonesia and Malaysia, I'm like, oh my gosh, these people kind of look like me. It's interesting. Um, for any mixed kid out there, I feel you and nobody really looks like you. So <laughs> this, is, this is for you. Uh, so in And, you know, with all of the ritualistic practices and obviously Bali being such a sacred space, I was definitely entering a very spiritual time in my life. Um, And it was a very, you know, it was a huge cathartic time for releasing, letting go, which, of course, I was doing in Burning Man and during my psychedelic experiences, which a lot of that was based in Asia. But one of the biggest things that I vowed to do, just being in this sacred, energetic Um, island, uh, was having that commitment to myself. And that meant for me, it might sound hippie and woo-woo, but I think for me, it actually meant that I would serve love. It's now one of the values that I share quite a bit, um, along with my husband and I, but I would serve love to myself first. And uh, this would mean that I would be accountable to myself first. I would show up for myself first before, you know, doing anything for anybody else. And that was my vow and my commitment to be honest to myself first before trying to do or appease or, you know, with anybody else. So that was my little ceremony that I did uh, in Bali. Awesome. Okay. So during this time, were you dating at all? So uh, no, I was, I would probably say I was celibate for um, probably a year and a half. Okay. And then after you got divorced and when you started dating again, did you, were there patterns that came up that you still had that you learned through dating more people? Okay. Because I was a crazy person at personal growth. (laughs) (laughs) Different. And I, and I, and I so like dove in knee deep. Um, and I really wanted to crack, uh, you know, the, the code on a lot of the trauma that I had, you know, I had kind of been raised with and it was a lot of, uh, you know, not dealt with emotions that were, you know, that was obviously part of a lot of the, the work that I do now. But um, so the patterns that come kept coming up, 
you know, I, I definitely had triggers. Absolutely. Uh, one of the first triggers, and, and this was how, you know, I met Ajit, uh, said that, that I, I would never date Indian men. You know, and I think I, I mentioned this to you at some point. I'm like, nope, I don't I don't go for it. So I completely did the opposite of, of you know, in the beginning, right? It was a lot of those same patterns of I wouldn't date anybody who was in the medical profession. Um, so it was, you know, a lot of uh, not even going there. So it wasn't, I mean, there, was, there were so many amazing books, but I had to really heal the way that I perceived all men. And, um, you know, a lot of times if you've been through a very traumatic experience in relationship, either our hearts are closed or we're, we're very, we've got our guards up and then one thing triggers another thing and then we close back up again. And I think for me, I had to, because I was, I was such an, uh, a student of, of, of growth at the time, but I needed to reveal what I wanted to see in another person in myself. So, which meant that if I wanted somebody to be honest in relationship, I needed to be honest. And if I wanted somebody to be vulnerable, then I needed to be vulnerable. And these were skills that, yes, you know, this is taught. But for me, as somebody who was also doing research on my book and writing about all of these things, I was knee deep, like I was in the work, right? I was in like the making of my history, right? And the remaking of my history. So I'm like, I would be completely, you know, not in alignment and a total hypocrite if I wasn't, you know, playing my own game too. So a lot of the work was also me doing that work on myself, which led me to, okay, don't ever do this, ladies, do not ever do this. But I created a spreadsheet like you would, like a great Asian, you know, straight A student. Um, and I, I, I vowed that I would go on th this, this experiment. You know, I'm also a researcher. So this experiment lasted for about 50 days. I want to say between 45 to 60 days. Uh, don't hold me to it. But literally, I was going on dates. And I just said yes to dating because I really wanted to understand this whole world. And if the work that I was doing, if I'm going to be practicing, right, what I what I'm what I'm saying. So it ended up in in a whole spreadsheet situation where I would rank the guys that I was dating <laughs> on a scale of one to ten okay. and in, in every aspect. But in so so and I'll I'll give you some of the categories. This is very very personal growth ish and and you might be <laughs> sick of me by the end of this but it was you know spirituality ambition uh growth minded the books that they're reading like you know not like how tall they are or whatever like those those things were, were not really on my list but um if there was chemistry connection um uh, had they been to Burning Man, right? So like, what experiences did they have? Um, and funny enough, all of these men ranked very, very high. But guess what? You never mix chemistry with your experiments because you still have a heart, right? It's not all about your head. So everything was great on paper. And I was just not feeling it. I was just not feeling it with any of these men. And I'm like, wow, these are amazing men. And I would actually try to do matchmaker with some of my girlfriends. I'd be like, he's so great. And they're like, why aren't you going for him? And I'm like, I actually, I, I don't know. Actually don't. So I couldn't answer the question. And funny enough, I meet my now husband and he was actually never on that list. But have you, you guys already knew each other? 
Yeah. At so this point. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we actually met at a personal growth conference. <laughs> uh, uh, and this was very early on. This was, um, this was, this was so early. This was like in 2013. Uh, and it was, um, it was called A-Fest and it was in a, you know, different part of the world. And it, it was a gathering where it gathered a bunch of amazing humans from all different parts of the world. And uh, he happened to be a co-founder of that company. And he was actually, he had just gotten married and I was coming off my divorce. I was going into this event like super excited. My guard was up. So I wasn't really interacting with guys. Uh, I just knew of him because, you know, it was a gathering where everyone's very open and very friendly and a lot of entrepreneurs and different parts of the world. And, you know, here I am kind of um, seeing all of the possibilities outside my tiny little lens of medicine and dentistry. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. People are, you know, business people from all over the world getting together. It was fascinating for me. Uh, and I hadn't been exposed to something like that before. So, uh, so we met, but we didn't really keep in touch. And that following year, I went to Burning Man. And that's when um, I actually got close with a lot of the people that he actually worked with. Uh, which then led to a year later, me doing my solo sabbatical in Asia, which I would then reunite with him. And at that time, he was actually going through his divorce. And so when we connected again, it was a few years later. And, you know, the circumstances were different. I was this free bird doing my research and, and, and you know, kind of diving into all of these different experiments and things. And then in 2016, I decided to go back uh, to Bali where I had my self-love marriage uh, and, and then KL, Malaysia. I was also working with leaders at the time. And uh, I, had, I was asked to speak at this conference uh, in Malaysia and in India. And he was also asked to speak at the same event. And so that's basically when we got together and we actually got to know each other. Um, but my very first, and he'll say this too, but my very first meeting with him was because I had my guard up, right? I was at the time I was coaching a lot of leaders. A lot of them happened to be men. I had moved to the Bay Area working in Silicon Valley at this point. So I was kind of used to, Nita, you need to be very professional. You need to stand your ground and you need to, you know, say the spiel that you say to male clients always, right? And and so that's basically what I shared. I said, you know, I don't go for Indian men. <laughs> it was a little not not as not as nice as as I sound right now. <laughs> but uh, <no. laughs> it, it was um yeah, that that's for an R-rated version of the of the show. And but I was I was very uh, abrupt and super honest. And so he was like, oh, OK, I'm and he was kind of coming off of his, you know, um, his exodus from his first marriage. So he was kind of playing the field, as he would call it. And he was like, OK, I'm going to try. And so he decided that he was like, OK, I'm going to see if she'll stay because, you know, we have this event that we're both speaking at in a month and she can finish her book. I was actually working on my first book then. And, you know, his pickup line was, well, everyone finishes their book in Asia. You know, why don't you? So and I think the biggest thing there was I I think 
because I was able to share my boundaries and these boundaries were obviously like made up in my head, right? I don't date Indian men, but it gave us the opportunity to be friends first because then he knew where my boundaries were at. And it was every single day of us having conversations, talking about all of the things, all of the things that we, you know, that worked well in our marriage that didn't work well. Um, And, you know, he was a student of growth. And so, um, and he was also a coach <laughs> as well. So, um, you know, putting two coaches together was 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 very, very interesting because we're constantly like analyzing each other. And, and, and so that was that made for a lot of fun conversations. But I think the fact that we had such an open understanding of what we wanted and how we wanted to show up in relationship, I think that was so monumental and different. OK, so he he was not on your list. No. So what is the thing or what are the things that made you choose him? Mm, So good. So I think the fact that we had such strong communication, I think that was the biggest thing. And of course, yes, the chemistry was obviously there on many levels. Um, And he was just, he was funny, you know, and I think that we need to play. It's not all about like, are they going to fill out all of the things on my box and my checklist? Like, how do you want that person to make you feel? Like he made me feel loved. He made me feel wanted. He made me feel desired. He made me also challenge a lot of the things in myself. And I, I love a guy that can challenge me, right? Just knowing who I am as a person, I need people to also challenge me, right? And not only do we have, and of course now wear several hats, but we were able to play many different roles in our in our relationship early on, right? Like I said, we started out as friends. So it was very much, um, it was a lot of listening, And a lot of listening on both sides and really coming at it from a lens of curiosity of like, okay, I want to know more. I want to know more. And for somebody to be that into you and just, you know, not in in more listening and not just sharing and it was equal parts sharing. I thought that, wow, that is definitely that kind of just, I guess you can say really stole my heart because you know, you have somebody that's just willing to, to listen. And at what point did it turn romantic? At what point did you say yes to crossing that line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I, I, like, like I said, I had to do my own work because I knew that something was starting to happen. Right. I knew that I'm like, wow, he, you know, he's amazing. He fits everything on my list. Like, why am I, why, why did I kind of like friend zone him? You know, so I was like going through my own head during this time. And, and so I had to kind of check in with myself what was also happening, right? So I actually remember going to another plant uh, ceremony, uh, a retreat that I did uh, before our next meeting, which was going to be in India for this event that we were both speaking at. And I remember going into this retreat with this sense of surrender and the sense of, okay, I'm going to really kind of let go of all of the things that I have going on and really kind of work on what, what is it that I want in this next chapter of my life and who do I need to be in order to 
you know, kind of call in this next chapter, right, from of my life, which meant I was ready to find my human. I was ready to find that person. I was ready to find, you know, my, my co-pilot, my man, right? And so, and, you know, not that all signs were pointing to him, but I think I just needed to, I, I needed to understand for myself what was actually limiting me. And really, it was a lot of still some of those wounds kind of circling back to my, you know, my previous marriage where I needed to kind of cut those cords and release them and almost kind of do my own ceremony to thank my ex for all of the gifts that he gave and to kind of close that chapter up in order to invite whatever else was starting to emerge. And that weekend in and of itself was so healing. It was very eye-opening in terms of, okay, I, I know, and it, you just kind of felt that, all right, I'm, I'm ready and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with what I want. And this was the first time I actually shared with, you know, a man before he shared with me his feelings, right? And I was like, I'm going to lay it all on the table. Again, if I want somebody to be vulnerable, I need to be vulnerable as well. And so that's exactly what I did. And so, yeah, so I kind of told him I digged him. <laughs> and then... <laughs> and and he was like he was totally caught off guard as as you know Ajit. Um but I think he also knew. I think you know the sparks were definitely flying and I think when he got the green light it was like all right. So that's when our magic of then traveling the world for a year and a half started at that moment in India. So you guys travel the world together and you work together. Yes ma'am. What are the things you love about working together? And what are the things that are a challenge when it comes to working together? Ooh, yes, yes. All the juiciness. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> working together. I know everyone always asks me, like, how can you? And I think that for us, it kind of gradually began um, very, very early on. Like, we knew... Uh, and probably because we both took like at least, I don't know, a dozen personality tests, all of the things that you could do, leadership tests. I mean, you know, your love languages, your Enneagram, your human design. I mean, all of the things we actually <laughs> we actually took it, guys. Um, so, you know, kind of like uh, interviewing somebody for, you know, a position at your company. That's kind of what we both did. But really, I think from, um, you know, an entrepreneur's point of view and a startup point of view, you kind of want to know what the strengths are of each person. And, you know, very early on, I knew that his strengths and my strengths were very complementary. Like, for instance, I am such a big extrovert and he's such an introvert, right? And I think for, for some people, those traits can be annoying because many times you want the person to be just like you. Or you get super annoyed that they are just like you after a while, right? <laughs> double it's, edge. <laughs> it's, it's a double edge. And then you start, you know, bickering over the small things. And I think for me, um, it's really valuing and appreciating that in him. Because for me, it allowed me to do a lot of just surrendering into me being more feminine. And 
you know, I kind of talk about this a lot in terms of, you know, relationship dynamics as a professional woman, right? As a type A woman, I was a lot in my masculine. I was very much constantly leading, taking charge, putting out fires, all of the things. And it's hard when you are living in this way um, to kind of be able to surrender to another person, let alone work with them, let alone get them involved in your business. And uh, so I think that you have to have a strong sense and a strong assurance with yourself in order to be able to not take things personally. And this kind of goes into also, you know, having, having, having playful, like, banter with each other. Like we have our secret code words when things get really kind of tough if we're getting into a heated conversation about something that we don't agree with. And we just kind of say hakuna matata. And so that's like one of our code words of like, all right, let's shelf this conversation. We have now brought this this code word at home as well. Um, And I think that that's the biggest thing in terms of having your own self-assurance to really be able to appreciate the the good in your partner and what they bring to the table and what you bring to the table. So really kind of going at it as how you would appreciate the things that you would for somebody that you work with, right? Let alone that partner. So, um, so we have a very good understanding of our boundaries when we work together. Um, and we also take care of very, very different things. So I know what his genius zone is. He knows what my genius zone is. And we play together in that way. When it's not clear, like when we're both supposed to be doing something or, you know, I don't know, feedbacking something and we haven't actually declared on who's working on what, that's when we get into it. So when the boundaries aren't clear, because again, he comes from a very specific set of doing things and he's very, very much focused. I'm kind of like all over the place, the visionary and everything. And he's very much systems oriented and, uh, you know, data driven and all of these things. So the things that I really don't enjoy doing he loves and he is a ninja at and he's so amazing at and the things that he doesn't like doing like you know meeting with people and kind of gathering and and you know kind of uh all all of the front-facing stuff than I obviously do so but I think that um if we don't have our boundaries set then absolutely we can we can clearly get annoyed of each other and we can easily forget where we're heading down Okay. And so what were those conversations like in the beginning? Say, I mean, you're used to doing things your way. And um, he's, would you consider, he's a go-getter as well. Yeah. So I would think that at sometimes that would cause you guys to butt heads. Oh, yes. So what would a conversation be like if there was a disagreement over how to do something? Yeah. So I think that, so we... (laughs) (laughs) there were times where we would actually present our ideas in PowerPoint form and try to convince kind of like in the court of law. It's like, okay, here are your five slides. It's so cheesy, you guys. But like, and here are my five slides. And of course, his slides would be way better than mine and have such amazing argument points, of course. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I think that being human gets you, right? And then 
easily fall back into, um, but why can't we do it this way, right? So um, yeah, so when we are getting into that heated argument, if it's something that we cannot actually solve, if it's like, uh, hey, babe, I have, you know, an idea for this, you know, this new project or this new course that we're working on. And he'll say, okay, uh, schedule a meeting with me. Right. So I have to block time in his calendar, see if, you know, the assistant's available, if he's got time available. And he I know his working style now where if I'm presenting something to him, it's got to be brief. It's got to be short and it's got to be to the point. And he knows I'm like, I can talk forever. Right. So if it's not those three things, then he knows he shuts me off and I don't take it personally. Now, if we hadn't done the work, if we hadn't known what we know about each other and our personality types and our differences and the way we work, then that would come, that would definitely end up in like, oh, but you don't listen to what I have to say. You don't value my opinion. Am I dumb? You know, like all of these <laughs> things, right? And, and I think in the beginning, absolutely, it would be like, oh, okay. But just seeing in the way he interacts with everybody that he interacts with in terms of business, because he's very different business wise, you know, father figure wise and, um, you know, bedroom wise, obviously. And so that kind of curtailed how I show up in business as well, because obviously I'm very different in a work setting. So that's kind of how we, we complement each other. Okay. And then are you guys always talking about work or is there some system that after a certain time we don't discuss? It's family time. Do you have any sort of system or is it you guys just love what you do so much that it's always talking about work? No, no. Uh, I, I think now that we're parents, I think it's, um, it's, you know, you have a toddler running around and I think that having our son has made us way more, I would say, uh, disciplined in terms of shutting down the computer. Like there are times if there are things coming up that, yeah, you know, he'll ask me a question here and there, like we'll be sitting on the couch and, you know, as two people working together, your lives are intertwined. Everything is intertwined all the time. Right. But I think that we can switch it back and forth so fast. Um, where we even have different names for each other, right? At home, I call him AJ because it's home, right? And so, um, and Ajit at work, right? So I, I think that even in our heads, we have different names for each other. And so we have now very strict boundaries of, okay, work's not coming home after, you know, dinner time, right? 6 p.m., baby's home. Like it's, it's you know, it's, it's mama and dada time. That's literally what it is. And then of course we have our date nights where, you know, hands like off limits of work. How often do you have date nights? Every Thursday. Oh, every Thursday, weekly. weekly. I've heard an, another one of my um, best friends who she has a kid, they also do weekly. And she said it's very important to keep that up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so um, Ari's so cute, by the way. He's so freaking <laughs> cute. And I love that you guys travel the world with him. He's fully integrated into your lives. Yeah, definitely. Right? There's almost no separation I mean, did you guys talk about this before he was born of what you wanted that to look like? I guess you can say we're super non-traditional. Um, and in terms of like even our parenting styles. Uh, and but we know that, you know, one thing's for sure. We did travel about four months in his first year of life. 
Uh, I think we traveled about four months, even while I was pregnant with him, or maybe even more, uh, was literally bananas. And so he, and, and I'm not saying that was easy. It was very, it was tough. Like the first year of his life traveling and all the things, it was so tough. Looking back at it now, like when you're in it, you're just kind of doing it, but you didn't know, like I didn't realize how sleep deprived I was. I didn't realize how crazy things were happening like uh, at all different points it was it was tough and I think that made us and even this season of life that we're in now uh, I think it's made us recognize what we want for him and how we want to show up um, with him because yeah he we had all hands on deck we had a lot of help um, either traveling with us, you know, in the different parts of the world that we were in. So, and we really believe in kind of community gatherings and everyone kind of is part of the community and raising and it really takes a village. So we definitely, and I'm the first person to not pride myself on like, I can do it all because I obviously, I cannot, I cannot. There's no way I have a lot of help. Um, and we're very, uh, you know, very lucky to have that. But I think that we want Ari to grow up knowing that, you know, his parents, uh, like, you know, are, are able to impact people in the way that we do and our lifestyle in the way that we do, you know, in a way that it serves and it adds value to people. So, so yeah, so I think that's kind of our take on it now. We'll have to see how it all unravels. But definitely, I think travel is a huge part of our lives. I think that also his grandparents are in different parts of the world. Um, and I think, you know, because we met in a different, you know, Ajit and I met, like our lives kind of started out in very unique places. I think we want to be able to bring that global um, feel to to raising him as well. So with community, you guys have created a global community. And when you say you have help too, it's, I mean, you have a nanny, right? But you also, you have a lot of friends that you trust. I mean, you would give Ari to me, which I have no experience with kids, but I always felt that you were very trusting and very comfortable and you wanted to make him comfortable being with different sorts of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, one's learning to, or allowing other people to help you. Um, so with creating the community, out of the two of you, you and Ajit, would you say you're the more community organizer or is he equally? We have roles. So I would say I'm kind of like the CEO of the house <laughs> and all things social and all things social calendar. And yeah, absolutely. I'm the planner. I'm the organizer. So I, I kind of take those roles in terms of bringing people together. And even with our global community, like he's all about it as well, obviously, uh, which is why we're able to have such really strong community everywhere. And you've witnessed that everywhere. Uh, and I think also, you know, just based on um, uh, how like the the organizations that he's been part of. Uh, so a community is a huge part of his growth. It's a huge part of, you know, the companies that he's built, the companies he's been part of. And, and it's kind of, you know, part of like the ethos now uh, behind, you know, what we do and, and how we do it. So absolutely, I think that, um, you know, the way that we, we want Ari to feel comfortable. We want him also to know boundaries as well, definitely. Um, but 
yeah, I'm, I'm all about, you know, experiences with him. I mean, we also have times and trips where we actually do on our own solo as a couple, uh, which I think is so important if we wanted to keep, you know, the romance alive. Uh, and I, I feel like a lot of couples, you know, they kind of lose that, especially in the first two years of that baby bubble because it's just so it's so tough and i think that we have to be even more adamant and vigilant about the kind of relationship that we still want to create even with you know children because you guys spend so much time together with work and raising ari and then married you know married, married. <laughs> life what are some things that you guys do separately Oh, yes. Yes. So I still love my time hiking alone. I used to think that, uh, you know, I used to think, oh, we need to do everything on our own, like together. And and I'm like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> you had a child in the mix and you're like, OK, no, we, we, we need alone time. <laughs> and it's so good. And, and to have our own times that we can have with our friends like uh, you know, with me, I have girls night with, you know, my different sets of girlfriends at least twice a month. If I could do it every week, I could. But, you know, things come up. So realistically, twice a month. And that's amazing. That's great. Right. He has his guys night weekly, which is great because, you know, he he needs that. So and I think and, and of course, we have our date nights. So um, with me, it's, there are, I used to be, you know, uh, I used to do like these, these triathlons. And so for me getting in the water, swimming, um, going on long bike rides, uh, I don't run anymore, but, um, you know, any sort of, if there are yoga retreats or anything that allows me to be in nature or in the water, uh, I am doing it. And Ajit is not the best swimmer. So, and he doesn't really like water or beaches. So I, I think he, you know, we have definitely our differences there. And for Ajit, like he needs his quiet time. He needs his alone time. He needs being in that man cave. Like he's a, a true introvert, right? So it takes him a while to even, um, you know, even after an event, uh, to, to just go away for a few days and just be on his own. And we respect that about each other. And we actually encourage that. So, uh, highly definitely think that absolutely we need to have our, our own time and, and doing things solo. And, uh, and we've even this year, we've even started doing solo trips, whether it's solo for a night or two nights or a weekend or something, uh, just to kind of have that, you know, reconnection back to ourselves. Because so many times we just lose ourselves in relationship and we hear this so much. And that was, I think, the biggest fear that I had going into a second, you know, marriage. I didn't want to lose myself. And that too, even going into motherhood, I definitely didn't want to lose myself. And, and, and you do. And, and you find yourself again. And that's a different conversation. But yeah. Okay. So besides work, which is fun for you guys most of the time, right? What else do you do together? That's play, since play is a big theme of your relationship. Yeah, well, we love exploring and traveling. We love whether it's adventures like outside of even our neighborhood, but just exploring even. Um, so we just recently got a bike, right? Bikes, bikes and bikes, of course, with our son, with Ari. But these are cruiser bikes. So now Ajit feels a lot more comfortable using them. Um, he's not much of a road bike person. But so, yeah, you know, being able to be playful and doing even walks together, we 
like even reading books together, right? And we're obviously students of growth constantly. So stuff like that where we are, you know, we have our own little book club that we get to share things with and that's completely so different. We play cards still. We, you know, we have game nights at our house where it's just the two of us. So yeah, I mean, super chill. We, I didn't realize this. I just found this recently in the, this past year uh, that he actually was an avid chess player. <laughs> and, and, and so was I. Not very good. But yeah, so we've been starting to play that. So I feel like when we are open to just even the things that we grew up with, right? Like, and, and kind of even we've been married for, you know, X amount of years now, there's still things that are still popping up and constantly evolving. So to be able to be curious and explore some of those dimensions that you may or may not do to keep things fun and exciting and playful. So to keep the passion alive, it sounds like play, space, curiosity. Yep. Those are good. Those are good ones. Those are really good. (laughs) Those are really good. (laughs) Lots of sex. Lots of sex to keep that up. Yes. Do you guys schedule in sex? Because I've heard of this after having kids. Sometimes you do have to Oh yes. schedule. Oh, yes. We schedule it. It's weekly. Yes. And then what if, I mean, does it ever, because when you throw a kid and those stresses in the mix, if sometimes like you're just not in the mood to do it, will you still do it? Like, so, keep- so you get creative. And I think that one of the things is, so we are also you know, we're, we're very open to growth and open to growing experiences. Right. And so, uh, we are open to, you know, Tantra and learning more about even our own connection, whether it's uh, sexual or just, you know, the intimacy, the intimacy of being with one another. And so I think that that also is a big added dimension of how we play, uh, because it not, it may not just be intercourse. It might be, you know, just the ability to gaze at each other and stare at each other and breathe deeply. And, you know, Tantra has a lot of many different forms and formats. And I think that that has brought a dimension of, you know, almost a yogic practice to how we relate to one another in exploring, you know, the, the different aspects of even our, um, our connection with with one another. So why I share that is because as parents, yeah, you're tired. You're tired as shit. And many times you don't want to do X, Y, and Z. You you don't want to get in the mood. But do we know certain cues and things that actually get us in the mood? Absolutely. And will that lead to something? Maybe. And, you know, even if it doesn't, I think Esther Perel says this, you know, too, but is that desire of, you know, just the longing for each other, can you spark that? in that moment. So I think that's really powerful, uh, you know, to remember as we're constantly exploring this. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're obviously not perfect at it. There are weekends where I'm just like, nope, don't touch me. You know, it's just one of those, those weeks. But I also know how important it is for him. And because I know how important it is for him, you know, I, I want to make sure that I am taking care of myself so that I can also show up for him as well. Okay, to close this out, So this podcast is for professional, high-achieving women who would like to find their life partner. So for those women who are dating, what is the number one piece of advice you would give them to guide them to creating the relationship of their dreams? So be open. Be open. You, You never know what can actually 
happen. Um, definitely knowing your boundaries is one thing and definitely knowing what you stand for, what you don't tolerate. Those are all amazing, but don't forget to, you know, drop into your heart because, you know, you as a professional woman, uh, from the outside, you're a badass, you have it all together, but you also want to let your man in and they can't be in right if you've got that guard up or if you're approaching it like a business interview right, right? you do that stuff after, after yeah. <laughs> when you're delineating roles but before <laughs> before you know you, we've, we've got to be able to soften up and I think that was the biggest um, lesson I learned as you know as that type a woman to really soften into um, the feminine and to play and to, you know, get more into my right brain. Um, so yeah, dance more. Yeah. I love that. It's funny you say that because with the staying open and softening, I feel like whenever I hear someone say like draw a hard boundary, like I don't date this kind of guy. A lot of times they end up marrying that kind of guy when they when they yeah. they're Hi. open. Hi, I did that. Hi, hello. <laughs> but that also stems sometimes from trauma too. Oh yeah, right. That you just want to cut them off. But um, yeah, the boundaries and just knowing knowing what you need. And sometimes you discover that as you meet the person too. Like, oh, he's not he's not you know on my list of these qualities, but I feel good with him. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing today. So and excited. Yeah. And helping women, you know, see, you know, that it is possible to, well, actually, I'm just talking to myself, that it's possible to work with your partner and have a balanced life in that aspect. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you've enjoyed the show, please give it five stars and write a review. It helps my rankings, and I really, really appreciate it. And if you're interested in my book to read or gift to a friend, it's called Show Up, Finding Love for Independent Women, and it's available on Amazon. Have a great day.